And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've got to be kidding. You can't make the stuff up. Here we are once more with another episode of Tratcast. Welcome to Tratcast number four. This time on a very interesting subject. The dogma of no salvation outside the church. Extra Ecclesiam Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside the church. This is the Catholic dogma, and not a little amount of controversy has been generated concerning it in the 20th and 21st centuries. What we'd like to do in this Tratcast is not go over various proof texts for this or that thesis, but rather present a well-reasoned summary of the principles involved in this topic to help you understand how it all hangs together. So expect this presentation to be quite different from all the other things you've read about this subject, okay? This is going to be uh, a bit unique. So listen closely as we discuss No Salvation Outside the Church. Tradcast. The dogma that there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church is obviously a negative statement. It tells us where salvation is not found, namely, outside the Catholic Church. If we restate the dogma in positive terms, the dogma is salvation can be found only inside the Catholic Church. Okay, this is what the the dogma says, and what the dogma means, if we simply convert it into an affirmative statement. So, no salvation outside the church means salvation only inside the church. Now, of course, by saying that salvation can only be found inside the Catholic Church, we're not saying that being inside the Catholic Church alone is sufficient for salvation, as though all Catholics would necessarily be saved simply because they're Catholics, far from it. But we are saying that it is necessary for salvation, okay? It's not sufficient, but it's necessary. It's a very simple distinction. Uh, Think of a very uh, simple analogy, for example. In order to make a cake, flour is necessary, but it is certainly not sufficient. You need a lot more things than just flour, all right? So salvation can only be found inside the Catholic Church, meaning we have to be inside the Catholic Church at the moment of our deaths if we wish to be saved. This is indisputable. It has been defined dogmatically 
many times by the church, and dogmas, of course, mean exactly what they say. But notice that the dogma does not say no salvation apart from membership in the church. Rather, the dogma is no salvation outside the church. And of course, the Catholic Church in her dogmatic teaching is extremely precise and careful in her wording. So if the church had wanted to define instead that there is no salvation apart from membership in the church, then the church would have done that. But the church instead chose the terminology outside the church. So it remains to be seen then what is required, what is necessary to be considered inside the church. How are we inside the church? Now, to answer this question in the obvious way, of course, is to say membership, right? If you're a member of the church, then you are inside the church. This much is clear. And Pope Pius Twelfth, in his encyclical Mystici Corporis of 1943, defines very clearly what the criteria are for church membership. And they are baptism, they are profession of the true faith, they are not being excluded from the church by legitimate authority, and they are not being in schism with the church. That means refusing submission to the Roman pontiff or refusing communion with members of the church who are subject to the Roman pontiff. So we know what it takes to be a member of the church. This has been laid out clearly by the Pope. The question is, is there some other way to be inside the church apart from membership, some other way to be inside the church without being a member? And in order to answer this question, we only need to consider another truth that the church teaches dogmatically, and that is that the state of sanctifying grace at the moment of death is not only necessary for salvation, but actually sufficient. If we die in the state of sanctifying grace, that means we are justified before God and through his goodness and mercy, through his grace, have a right in that sense, to be admitted to heaven. There may still be required a purgation in the fiery flames of purgatory, but we are fundamentally pleasing to God and will go to heaven. So let's think about this for a minute and draw the necessary conclusion from these two very important and fundamental truths. Number one it is necessary for salvation to die being inside the Catholic Church. That is necessary. But we also know that it is sufficient to die in the state of sanctifying grace. There is only one possible conclusion as to how to reconcile both of these statements. And that is that he who dies in the state of sanctifying grace dies inside the Catholic Church. That is very important to remember. If it is possible to be saved by being in the state of sanctifying grace at the moment of death, 
And if it is necessary to be saved, to be inside the Catholic Church, then it follows necessarily that all those who die in the state of sanctifying grace are also inside the Church. Now, to answer the question whether it is possible to be inside the Catholic Church in some way other than being a member, we have to consider whether it is possible to be in the state of sanctifying grace without being a member of the Catholic Church. If the answer to that is yes, then we know that there is a way to be inside the Catholic Church other than through membership in the Church. So here we have to ask, what produces the state of sanctifying grace? What is it that puts men into the state of sanctifying grace? And according to the teaching of the church, there are two ways that a human being can be put into the state of sanctifying grace. The first one is the sacrament of baptism. We are baptized and cleansed from original sin, and also, if we have committed personal sin, you know, if, if, if we're baptized above the age of reason, then those actual sins, those personal sins, are forgiven as well. Thus, we are put into the state of sanctifying grace by the sacrament of baptism. But according to the teaching of the Catholic Church, there is actually another way in which we can obtain sanctifying grace, and that is through perfect contrition. Now, contrition is sorrow for sin, sorrow for one's sins, and contrition can be either perfect or imperfect. Contrition is said to be imperfect when we are sorry for our sins through some motive that includes our self-interest. For example, if we're sorry for our sins only because we dread going to hell, but not because they actually offend God, then we have imperfect contrition. Our contrition is, is true and genuine, but the motive, the reason why we are contrite, is not what it really ideally ought to be. Such contrition suffices for a valid and worthy reception of the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of penance, but of itself it does not suffice to produce in us the state of sanctifying grace. For that, perfect contrition is required. Now, of course, a valid absolution in the sacrament of confession or penance also produces the state of sanctifying grace, but for the purposes of this discussion, let's let's just focus on initial justification, okay? Which, as we said, is either through the sacrament of baptism or through perfect contrition if either the sacrament of baptism cannot be obtained or the person, through no fault of his own, has no knowledge that the sacrament of baptism either exists or is required. But just what is perfect contrition? The Dictionary of Dogmatic Theology defines perfect contrition in the following way, quote, 
perfect contrition arises in the heart of the sinner who grieves for his sin insofar as it is an offense against God in whom he considers the paternal goodness which has been ungratefully scorned. Moved, therefore, by a pure love called benevolence or charity, the penitent, as it were, breaks his heart to bits under the blows of sorrow, whence the name of contrition, a quasi-crushing into bits of the penitent heart. With such repentance, all permeated with the flames of charity, there always goes hand in hand, given the intention of confession, justification, or the remission of guilt, because ubi caritas, ibi Deus est. Where there is charity, where there is love, there is God, unquote. And that was a definition of the perfect contrition found in the Dictionary of Dogmatic Theology, edited by Pietro Parente, Antonio Piolani, and Salvatore Garofalo, which uh, we're going to put a link to on our Tradcast homepage for this episode, episode number four at tradcast.org. So, Perfect contrition is a sorrow for sin out of a motive of pure love of God. We are sorry for our sins because we have offended God, who is perfectly holy and who is perfectly good and has a strict right to all of our love and veneration and to our obedience and loyalty, to our faithfulness, to our love. If this is the motive, why we are sorry for our sins, then this produces in us the state of sanctifying grace. And this is clearly the teaching of Holy Mother Church. We're not going to get into all the the evidence for this now, uh, because that's simply beyond the scope of what we're trying to accomplish in this Tratcast. But this perfect contrition is obviously of such a nature that we are firmly resolved never to commit sin again and to do whatever it takes to please God and whatever it takes to attain our salvation. So we are embracing in that perfect contrition the will of God. We, we are firmly resolved to do his will, whatever it may be. And that includes, of course, insofar as it is known, the intention to make a good confession at the next possible opportunity, or if one is not yet baptized, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Again, insofar as one is aware that there is a sacrament of baptism, and insofar as one is aware that one must, in fact, receive it. Of course, perfect contrition is possible only with the help of God's grace. But here we're talking about actual grace. Grace that is given by God to move and enable the soul to accomplish a salutary act. That is, an act that has supernatural merit. So, we're not saying that perfect contrition can be had apart from God's grace. In fact, the Council of Trent in its Canons on Justification, Canon 3, says the following, quote, If anyone shall say 
that without the anticipatory inspiration of the Holy Spirit and without his assistance, man can believe, hope, and love or be repentant as he ought, so that the grace of justification may be conferred upon him, let him be anathema, unquote. And that's uh, Denzinger 813. We'll link that also on our Tratcast homepage. So don't misunderstand. We're not saying that justification can be had apart from the grace of God. And of course, the Catholic Church could never teach such an abominable heresy. So now that we've seen what it takes to attain the state of sanctifying grace in the soul, we need to also briefly consider how sanctifying grace is lost. And that is in only one way, through committing mortal sin. That is the only way in which we can lose the state of sanctifying grace. And this is very important in specifically with regard to the question of no salvation outside the church, the, the necessity to be inside the church at the moment of death to be saved, and also the sufficiency of being in the state of grace at the moment of death. And we'll see this as we continue with our analysis. So let's go ahead and apply what we just learned about the state of sanctifying grace, about baptism, about perfect contrition and mortal sin. Let's apply that to the question at hand, which is, is it possible to be in the state of sanctifying grace without being a member of the church? Now, those who do not profess the true faith can be divided into two classes. Those who even though they do not profess the true faith, nevertheless possess a valid baptism, and those who do not. Those who possess a valid baptism, if they were baptized as little children before the age of reason, were certainly justified right then and there. They received the state of sanctifying grace right at their baptism. Now remember, the only way that sanctifying grace can be lost is through the commission of mortal sin. Now, mortal sin can be against faith or it can be against morals, but as far as faith goes, the only way for them to lose sanctifying grace is if their adherence to heresy is pertinacious, if it is stubborn, if it is culpable, and if it is knowing that the heresy is in fact heresy. In other words, they must commit a mortal sin against faith. But not everybody who professes a false faith actually does so knowingly and does so deliberately against God's truth, knowing that what God has revealed is in fact different. So, for example, the most common cause is simply ignorance, okay? They simply do not know that what they're professing is not, in fact, what God has revealed, that what they're professing is not, in fact, the true faith, and they genuinely and sincerely believe it to be the true faith, and that's why they adhere to it. Now, not all ignorance, of course, is inculpable. Not all ignorance is actually innocent. Far from it. Oftentimes, ignorance is due to negligence, to a neglect of, of researching 
the truth of informing ourselves, a neglect of educating ourselves. But at the same time, not all ignorance is culpable either. So in the case where a baptized person professes heresy innocently, there is no mortal sin, and therefore the state of sanctifying grace is not lost. But this proves, then, that it is possible to be in the state of sanctifying grace without being a member of the Catholic Church. Because, remember, in order to be a member of the Catholic Church, you must profess the true faith. Now, in the case of somebody who is not baptized, and this justification, the state of sanctifying grace, was not produced by the sacrament of baptism, which is lacking, nevertheless, this state of sanctifying grace can be produced, can be had through perfect contrition, as we explained earlier. This person, too, can then retain this state of grace despite the profession of heresy if, again, that profession of heresy is innocent and not culpable and therefore does not involve a mortal sin against faith. And like we said a few minutes ago, we're leaving aside uh, mortal sins against morals. Of course, that's a, that's a whole different story. So now that we've established that it is possible to be in the state of grace without being a member of the church, we must conclude, per the doctrine, that there is no salvation outside the church, and salvation therefore only inside the church, that such people, even though they are not members of the church, are nevertheless inside the church, until, that is, God forbid, they lose the state of sanctifying grace. Therefore, we have proven that it is possible for someone to be inside the Catholic Church without actually being a member of the Church. Now, precisely how such a person can be inside the Church, that is, adhere to the body of the Church, this is something that the Church has never definitively settled. This is the task of theologians to resolve, and uh, this was hotly debated during the first half of the 20th century by Catholic theologians. The Church did not resolve this definitively, but she did step in on occasion to correct certain errors. And uh, this is what we find in Pope Pius XII's encyclical Mystici Corporis, for example, as well as the Holy Office Letter Suprema Hexacra that was sent to Archbishop Cushing in 1949 to correct the errors of Father Leonard Feeney. We also find Pius XII speaking about it in his 1950 encyclical Humani Generis. For anyone who may be interested in finding out how far the theologians got in their discussions and in their explications of magisterial teaching on these questions, there is actually a very nice uh, book out there that pretty much lays out the different positions of the different theologians. And it was published in 1960, so it, it really captures the, the status questionis, the, the state of the question, as the theologians call it, the point to which theologians came with their research when Pius XII, the last true pope, died. The book in question 
is the necessity of the church for salvation in selected theological writings of the past century. And the author of this book is the Reverend Father John J. King. And this was published by the Catholic University of America Press in 1960. It uh, has an imprimatur, of course, and the Nihil Obstant was given by the famous anti-modernist Monsignor Joseph Clifford Fenton. So this is an excellent read. It is actually a very long book. It uh, has 363 pages. It is very, very hard to obtain this in paperback, as it is, of course, out of print. However, the Catholic Archive has made it available in electronic format as a PDF file. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Catholic Archive, check them out. They're an excellent, excellent resource for old, out-of-print Catholic books. They, they scan in those old books from the library and provide them on their website. And, of course, we're going to have a link to that on the Trotcast homepage. The website is thecatholicarchive.com thecatholicarchive.com. It actually requires a subscription. However, it is extremely inexpensive and it requires a subscription payment only once and you will get a lifetime membership, a lifetime subscription to the Catholic Archive and they continually update their content there. So uh, it is an excellent use of your money. Tradcast. Thus far, our little overview of the dogma of no salvation outside the church and the possibility of being inside the church without being a member. By the way, don't be disturbed by the fact that the church has not yet definitively settled each and every aspect of these questions. It is important to remember here that we do not have the obligation to figure out what even theologians could not agree on when the last pope died, okay? Our obligation is simply to adhere to what the church teaches, even if we do not fully understand it, even if we think there are some difficulties. And this is actually not at all without precedent. Um, For example, to this very day, the Catholic Church has still not definitively settled how grace and free will are reconciled. This is something that was debated very hotly in the late Middle Ages and after And this debate was uh, really severely restricted by Pope Paul V in the early 17th century. You had Molinists on the one side and Thomists on the other, and they were, you know, yelling and screaming at each other. They were uh, calling each other heretics, and the Holy See had to step in and, and say, stop. And to this day, the church permits uh, both sides regarding this controversy on free will and grace and has not definitively decided one way or another. 
So we, we just have to accept, especially now that the chair, the apostolic chair is vacant, we simply have to accept that we came to a certain point with regard to understanding that somebody can be inside the church without being a member of the church, and still, even though he does not profess the true faith, be set to be adhering to the visible body of the church. And so how that is reconciled exactly with the visibility of the church, the church has simply not settled. So remember this, okay? The church doesn't, at every stage in her history, have a definitive answer on every question. Our obligation is to adhere to church teaching, not merely that which is infallible, by the way, but anything that the church teaches authoritatively. That is our obligation, and usually any denial of authoritative church teaching comes with pain of mortal sin. So, this is a serious matter. This is not to be taken lightly, but it is not incumbent upon us to figure out things that theologians were still discussing and debating under the pontificate of the last true pope. And with this, we'll call it quits for today. This was episode number 004 of Tratcast, the traditional Catholic podcast produced by Novus Ordo Watch at NovusOrdoWatch.org. Hope you found it informative and helpful. We will see you again next time, God willing, in our next episode. Stay tuned. Why don't you subscribe? You can subscribe at our website, tradcast.org. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Stitcher. And you can tell everyone you know about it. Have a good one. God bless you. Until next time. Tradcast.